0: I'm Ann Vermeersch, a Pioneer Rev from Cortland, and this is the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast.
1: Thanks, Ann, and thank you for listening to the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. In the first half of the season, we've tried to take some deep dives into specific issues, especially issues that we've seen over this past growing season. Today, our trend continues as we take a close look into what seems like the never-ending fight against weeds. Just when you think you've got your weed control under control, suddenly a herbicide-resistant weed moves in. And with more moving their way from the far west of Ontario into the east and into Quebec, we thought it an incredibly important subject to think about building solid weed management plans for next year and beyond. Now, if you're talking weeds in Ontario, there is one person you've got to start with. A name that is no stranger to agronomy meetings and updates in this province, Mike Cobra. He is the Provincial Weed Specialist with the Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs. Mike, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Yes, happy to be here. What we want to really do today is give producers a bit of a better idea on how to manage really the whole spectrum of weeds, obviously get into, um, you know, weeds that may be resistant to certain herbicides, but let's start at the beginning in terms of, you know, a weed management strategy for a farmer. Uh, What should they be thinking about?
2: Yeah, so, you know, really when we look at weed management as an approach, uh, you know, certainly herbicides are uh, an important component of that system. But if we want to take the pressure off herbicides and, you know, give them the most opportunities to, to succeed, we really have to kind of take a step back, Andrew, and, and focus on kind of the cultural practices that benefit weed management. And so, you know, those are things like uh, starting with a very good base soil fertility. Like we've, we've seen time and time again, if we have Uh, Phosphorus and potassium levels that are, you know, above 20 and 120 parts per million, you know, the the crops close their canopy quicker that has benefits to weed management like a healthy soil, a healthy crop uh, is a competitive advantage, Um, certainly rotations um, that are more diverse that include cereals and then also include cover crops. Those things also you know, shift up the spectrum of weeds, doesn't allow any one weed species to dominate and are overall beneficial. Um, and then you get into things like scouting are incredibly important. I know it sounds basic, but you know, even this past season, you could go from weeds being at a stage that's susceptible to most herbicides to being too big in the span of four or five days. And so if you're not on that, um, you know, you miss, you miss out. And then the last two things are, are the incorporation of like fall weed control systems. You know, those are incredibly beneficial, especially for perennial weeds, to, to, to reduce the uh, population of those species, make them come up later. Again, putting the crop in a competitive advantage over the weed. And then lastly, it does come back to herbicides, but more that idea of let's use them in a layered approach, you know, two pass programs, pre-emergence followed by post-emergence. And then let's use as many modes of action as we can that are effective on the species that we're targeting. And, you know, it sounds simple in theory, but, you know, it, again, it's a systems approach. It's complicated. You want to have many strategies that complement each other um because you know the reality is is one or two of those things are gonna fail or maybe not go as intended throughout the
1: season so there's a lot to unpack then mike when we go down that list is there ones that stand out as you know when you're when you're seeing what's happening in ontario as ones that, that maybe we can pull our socks up a little bit more on or you know what what really should be the priority for these
2: Right, so let's, let's use some concrete examples and then see if they tie into the research. Um, and so a couple of concrete things um, is just, you know, the idea of rotation and cover crops. Like the reality is most, uh, you know, a significant portion of the province is corn and soybeans. And yes, we have a million acres of wheat, but we have 3 million acres of soybeans. And so there's a 2 million acre gap there. Now, maybe some of that 2 million acres gets some sort of cover crop, and it might be 30 percent. but the reality is there's well over a million acres in the province that have nothing going on after soybeans are harvested. And so even something as simple as you know 50 pounds of cereal rye, which we can plant sometimes well into November, you know we've seen uh, in the research you know that's been a significant way to reduce the population of something like Canada fleabane. right There's less of it it's smaller, it's easier to kill. Um, And so, those are things that you can start to incorporate. And then, you know, if you're a livestock producer, you know, that that cereal rye planted in the fall, you know, if it looks good, lots of biomass in the spring, you might decide that that's worth taking off as green feed and then planting something into it after, right? So, I think if we could get people to incorporate, you know, low rates of cereal cover crops post soybean harvest, that would go a long way. And then on the fall wheat control side, like again, being a little bit aggressive in terms of, of uh, pushing that application of, if it's glyphosate um, for perennial weeds, you know, getting aggressive in doing that on the later side, because I've not, in the time with ministry, I've never heard a farmer regret their decision to do something in the fall to manage perennial weeds. And if it's done consistently year in and year out, things like perennial south thistle, the problem perennial weeds, they do over time uh, reduce in their prevalence. And so those are a couple of, I think, you know, specific examples that can be incorporated. And it's, and it's validated in the research. I was talking with Peter Sykema last week, who's been doing this like long-term um, systems approach trial in water hemp. And he's finding that if he has a more diverse rotation that includes cereals, that has a cover crop planted after uh, winter wheat harvest, and using layered herbicides and all that stuff like he's seeing over 80 percent reduction in weed seed return to the soil so all of those things have tremendous impact in terms of reducing weed populations
1: i want to maybe shift into the actual species themselves you mentioned a few that are obviously those perennial issues and what are those ones that number one maybe are issues that we need to do a little bit more of, but two, that maybe growers that haven't seen them need to be watching out for. And, you know, we want to make sure we don't spread some of these seeds from one area to another.
2: Right. So I'll give you, I'll lay, I'll break that into two components. There's kind of the usual suspects um, and, and then the ones that are, that we should have on our radar because we don't really want them to establish. Um, so, you know, year in and year out, Common lambsquarters still ranks as one of the most problematic species amongst Ontario farmers. It's abundant, it's competitive, and uh, it doesn't take much for those weeds to have the upper hand over herbicides. They get big in a hurry. They get tough. They're they're difficult to control. Not a lot of uh, purely herbicide resistance in lambsquarters. It's just it's just a it's the perfect weed if you like weeds and them to be competitive. And then you know, there's the main ones are Canada fleabane, uh, the ragweed species. Um, on the perennial front, it's it's south thistle and vetch, and then water hemp is slowly becoming another one. You know, it's a pigweed species that's uh, becoming on the radar. And and with water hemp, I think you know your listeners, some will be affected by that, and some will have no idea what that is and have never come across it. What we've seen though clearly, and it's spread across the province, is this largely being introduced on farm machinery or grain movement. So uh, things as, as simple as being diligent about combine cleaning, or you know, if you're having that work done custom-wise, right, you're having someone in doing that, um, you know, asking those questions about what what's the clean out process in between, or insisting on it, paying extra for it, those things will be beneficial because once they're introduced. In the case of water hemp, it's usually resistant to three or four herbicides, and it's just a, a big problem. So there's there's those things um, that continue to be problems. And if we talk about like from a practical perspective, how do you reduce their impact? Again, when you talk to a lot of agronomists uh, throughout the province. It goes back to those five things that we focused on. Right. It's the it's the crop rotation. It's it's cover crops. It's scouting so that you're hitting the right stage. It's the two layered approach to herbicides. And then it's dealing with them in the fall. Right. To minimize uh, their energy going into the spring. In terms of things that I want to be on people's radar. um, there's a number of weeds from the same family, the bluegrass family. So you think of Kentucky bluegrass like lawn. Well, there's, there's three species that we're starting to see more in forages and in cereal crops and then also in corn and soys, uh, Canada bluegrass, rough stock bluegrass. So these are perennial grassy species that um, they spread by stolons, so a lot like creeping charlie. They'll move along the soil. They're they're incredibly tolerant to a number of herbicides so um, and once they get established in a the field, they can spread by seed and by those stolons and kind of dominate a landscape. And so if, if you're a forage producer, they're one of the first grasses up in the spring that get mature so they're super wiry they get mature they're just not they're not good from a feed quality perspective. And then in wheat, they're just very competitive, right? Like winter wheat is a very competitive crop. Weeds rarely affect it uh, from a yield perspective. Bluegrass is one of those species that's a bit of a game changer.
1: So then, Mike, when you do talk about these resistant weeds, I mean, I, I mean you mentioned it, I, I think, a little bit already that these strategies are going to help um in dealing with the flea beans the water you know maybe the bluegrasses down the road you know is there is there a, a better strategy specifically for resistant weeds or is this really the way to go with some of these you know kind of initial pillars
2: well i think if we look historically even at the early stages of like uh, herbicide development uh, most of the people that were in that that game of herbicide discovery they always said that these are nice tools to have, um, but the, the foundation is cultural uh, management practices, fertility rotation, scouting, all these things. Like um, they are very much in the vein of, of preventative measures and, and the herbicide in my mind, and, and then even like herbicide tolerant cultivars in my mind, they're the safety net. Um, you know, you rely on them to get you out of, of, difficult situations, but, um, those kind of, it's not sexy, Andrew, let's be honest, right? Like the kind of cultural practices is not, it's not easy. Um, it's not quick, right? It's not immediate. You know, there's something satisfying about putting something in a sprayer and then in seven to 14 days, that problem is gone. Some of these things that I've talked about might take five or six years to really pay off. So it's wildly unsatisfying, but it's incredibly important. Um, And just, you mentioned like, you know, what can you do in this fall? Like the, the, the fall is a perfect time, often the fall a perfect time to make observations of what kind of is escaping in the field. And because those things are likely, like in the case of fleabane, you see a small patch at harvest. Yeah, it's not probably affected you at all economically, um, but it's a little bit of the canary in the coal mine because that could easily be a problem two to three years where now it is causing 40, 50, 60% yield loss.
1: Mike, thanks very much for joining us today.
2: Yeah, no problems, Andrew. Always a pleasure.
1: All right, that's the big picture on weeds, and with some pretty strong ideas, I think, for pulling together a whole farm weed management strategy. Obviously, part of that strategy, though, is going to be the variety selection and the herbicide program to go with it. For that, we're going to go to the research and development side of Corteva to catch up with Nadia Krasininik, who is the evaluation zone lead, the most northern one, on the soybean breeding group for North America. Nadia, thanks for coming on the podcast today.
0: My pleasure, Andrew. Thank you very much for the invitation.
1: Can can you give me an idea as this, you know, northern zone lead, um, you know, what, what are some of the key things you're looking for? Not just in weed management, which is obviously our discussion today, but, you know, overall, what are some of those key components you're looking for?
0: Well, the key top three traits in any soybean variety we are looking for is yield, yield, and yield, uh, as I like to say. And the main goal of any soybean breeder would be to come up with the traits that protect this yield. Um, So we're looking at all the um, diseases and pests that might be present in the area and try to to breed in and incorporate the tolerance to those diseases or resistance to certain pests. We also obviously um, try to um, anticipate what kind of challenges soybean growers will be dealing with or facing in the next decade or so, because it takes about seven years to develop a soybean variety. So at the time of our initial cross, uh, we need to imagine the future, so to speak, and um, produce a variety that a grower would want to plant uh, and produce in seven to eight years.
1: Now, thinking about that, you know, long-term window and that potential for yield loss. Obviously, weed control is an important one, um, you know, but this idea of resistant weeds, I don't want to say it's new to, um, you know, Canada, you know, especially some of the very southern Ontario growers, but there are uh, growers in Ontario that are just starting to recognize what herbicide-resistant weeds can do particularly in that um, you know stage of yield loss. What do you hear from growers uh, you know, that you meet with and you talk to? where does this rank in terms of kind of their priorities for you know products coming down the pipeline?
0: Yes, it's a very important issue. And of course, you know, if we didn't have uh, the problem of uh, herbicide resistant weeds, most of our varieties would probably be conventional, right? Non-GMO soybeans. This is not the case. Majority of our, our varieties um, that the growers uh, would like to plant, um, they do have some sort of with uh, herbicide resistant technology
1: and so that herbicide resistant technology i i mean one of the things we we certainly want to discuss is you know on on the side of enlist and you know it, it's potential and, and and we're going to get that uh get to that part of the conversation with dave in just a couple of minutes but you know from your standpoint and and those varieties that you're seeing and what you're dealing with and what you're looking at um you know, Enlist being on one of those, you know, what is your team working on to help growers with products like Enlist or other things coming down the line in the future?
0: Currently, um, as a soybean um, research department, we are in transition from brand operating to extend uh, platform into uh, and moving into Enlist E3 technology and trying to integrate enlisting E3 as soon as possible into our germplasm and uh, make sure the growers have this uh, this amazing technology in their hands and have options for weed control uh, going forward. So at the moment, we are ramping up our offerings um, and making sure we move as fast as possible and very aggressive in the uh, process. Um, providing as many in-list varieties to the growers uh, in, in the future.
1: Then in terms of yeah, and maybe this is a silly question, but are you ever happy? you know, is there a target for how many varieties you'd like to have for growers? or is this a case of this technology is here now? and so for the foreseeable future, you're going to continue adding, adding, adding.
0: Correct. And it will be a gradual transition, but we, Um, do not anticipate having a lot of roundup ready to extend uh, varieties uh, by 2025.
1: That's very exciting to know, Nadia. So thanks very much for taking the time to to walk us through this. We really appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much. My pleasure, Andrew.
1: That definitely does sound like an exciting future with all the potential of Enlist E3 technology coming in so strong. So to talk more about that and what it means for growers, Let's bring in Dave Kloppenberg, the category lead for row crop herbicides for Corteva here in Canada. Dave, welcome to the show. Oh, it's, uh, it's great to be with you, Andrew. We've been talking a lot about weed management from the whole farm approach and working our way specifically to the Enlist system. Can we start there, Dave, and maybe you can introduce to those who are not incredibly familiar with the Enlist realm of products, what the system can do for growers here in Ontario?
3: Yeah, sure. I would say that Enlist, uh, the Enlist weed control system, um, E3 soybeans, uh, and the part that I'm involved in directly is is managing the Enlist herbicides. This is probably um, uh, the biggest uh, uh, project that, that 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 I've been working on uh, with Corteva. It's very exciting as we're now offering a, a system that's going to really change the way. Uh, uh, growers uh, manage their weeds in soybeans. Um, so uh, E3 soybeans are just getting rolling uh, in, in uh, Eastern Canada uh, and uh, started in Western Canada as well. But um, we're going to see a, a, a real large conversion um, of, of a lot of soybeans into the E3 varieties. And that's going to offer some really nice opportunities uh, for s- some really uh, uh, great weed control programs built around the enlist herbicides, but we also like to think about a program approach to weed control. So, uh, stewardship being a pillar of the of the enlist system, we want uh, to think about a system that that enables all uh, all of the tools uh, in addition to the enlist herbicides
1: where does it stand out? Where have you seen this working best for particularly Eastern Canadian growers?
3: Yeah, so the system is built around 2,4-D uh, choline and Colex D technology. So what we've done is, is we've created some really differentiated uh, 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 herbicides that, that um, provide essentially a new active ingredient that you can use in your soybeans. And uh, the real fit is that um, you have a real full window uh, right to, to the R2 stage um, to get control of um, hard to control weeds, whether you know those are perennials or whether you're talking weed like horsetail or some of the glyphosate resistant weeds, which we're seeing uh, become a bigger issue. And, and uh, so the, the real drivers there are Canada fleabane and, um, and then more recently, is is we're seeing water hemp, and so um, this is technology that you can use really fully enabled in that post emergence window um, to start to be able to manage these weeds. But like I said, uh, we want to also think about how we manage these weeds with a, a broad range of technologies. So starting with residuals and multiple modes of action, so we kind of build a, a robust system um, that that you know allows growers to get really really awesome control of some of these problem leads
1: well because as you talk about that you know we were talking with mike a little bit earlier in the show and he talked a lot about that you know let's get multiple modes of action let's get a better plan together here to say you know how can we make sure that you know we are using uh, you know, this technology, you know, in the appropriate places, you know, making the applications at the right time. Um, you know, you mentioned fully enabled as, you know, one of those benefits of it. What do you mean by that, Dave? I,
3: th- I think for, for, for growers, um, I've always talked about, uh, and this goes back to when I was uh, in sales in the field, I, I, I think um, it's great if you can have a, a plan A, um, but also a plan B and a plan C. <laughs> because, you know, Mother Nature sometimes throws, th- throws curveballs and, you know, the best laid plans, well, you know, you may, you may have, have, have wanted to, uh, to get, you know, a lot of your weed management down in, in your burn down, your pre-emergence, um, but you don't know exactly when you'll be able to get back in from a post-emergence standpoint. So fully enabled really means that you can go out and spray the Enlist herbicides, and that would be Enlist Duo, which is a premix with glyphosate, or Enlist One, which is a standalone 2,4-D choline. And because they have that technology built in, the Coal XD technology, we've built in drift reduction and we've also created herbicides that have near zero volatility. And, and so really what that means for a grower is that it's just like spraying any other herbicide. Uh, we don't have any temperature restrictions, uh, you just have to be mindful of, of the wind and sensitive crops and, and use common sense. But um, we've got some technology here that you can really use throughout that full window. Um, so not to say you want to, you know, wait and spray late, but it gives you flexibility. So um, I, th- I think that's really where this technology is different than some of the more recent technology we've seen launched in, uh, in the soybean space.
1: Now, Nadia mentioned, you know, from the R&D perspective, what drives them most is, you know, number one, yield, number two, yield. Number three, still yield. Um, you know, that's what drives so much of what they're doing. Um, as this, as these products are coming to market in eastern Canada, um, you know, what, what kind of data are you seeing? What kind of results are you seeing to drive that, you know, number one priority that obviously growers have, which is, you know, ensuring the yield's going to be there in the fall?
3: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's all about yield and agronomics, and then um, those have to be the foundation of why a grower would choose a certain um, soybean variety. So I think the luxury we have in in eastern Canada is that, yes, although we do have these pressing weed resistance issues, um, it's not full. It's not a full blown blown. Um, kind of a uh, uh, disaster like it, it became in certain areas of the Southern US. So, so now, you know, I think really growers are gonna, gonna adopt uh, varieties based on their agronomics and yield. Uh, but the bonus of having the uh, Enlist E3 varieties and we're seeing them come out, you know, across uh, a range of, of uh, seed providers and companies is that, hey, if we get that first part in place, um, and then uh, we can build a really strong weed control program. On top of that, it allows us to manage um, against these issues, these resistance issues or deal with some issues that we, we currently have. So I, I think you just, uh, the key thing is that um, the varieties are not gonna be rushed to the marketplace. They have to be well adapted for Ontario and Quebec and, and we're gonna do that work. And I think uh, that's gonna be foundational, and then we build the weed control program on top of that.
1: Now, I want to look ahead a little bit, Dave, here, and just kind of think long term, because obviously, you know, the the excitement is there for this technology. The excitement is there for these new varieties to come to market in the next um, few years. But I want to go back to your comment about stewardship, um, you know, and ensuring that these technologies are going to continue to be there. Uh, and continue to deliver results for Canadian growers. Um, what are some key things that you believe are important that a grower's gotta think about to make sure that this is going to work long-term?
3: Yeah, that's, that's, a, really, that's a really great great question. And I think that's a whole challenge for the industry is, is, is how do we manage technology? So, you know, we've seen it in the, you know, the trade side and in the BG traits, a lot of effort around stewardship, uh, because of the steward that the technology is so valuable. So the same, I think we need to think about herbicide resistance technology like the E3 soybean um, and, and, and the list weed control system is that we have to steward this technology because it it has such value. And so I think what really what that means is that. Uh, The technology is going to be super valuable and useful for growers Um, but we also need to to not throw all our eggs in just relying on that one herbicide resistance trait uh, to manage all our issues. We need to still think about uh, good agronomics so starting with early weed control and I think if you talk to the researchers they would say a two-pass program in soybeans is always going to provide you the best weed control and um, the best yield. And so that means um, that residuals are still going to be important, other modes of action. So let's just make it practical here. So let's say you have um, water hemp. Um, I think the key thing is that we've got to start with a residual, probably something like a, a group 14 or group 15 to get some good solid initial control. And then we can come post emergence with this technology. And that way, the weeds are seeing. Um, to you know, one, well, at least two, and if not three different herbicide groups, effective herbicide groups, so, so that you know, the system is more sustainable. And, and we can do this, and for many years, we'll have a system that works. Uh, and, and the alternative is just to, to rely on the one silver bullet that we've provided, and I don't think that's a really sustainable system. So we wanna sustain this technology, really, that's the bottom line.
1: Well, it certainly sounds like an exciting time and certainly excited to see, uh, you know, more and more of these varieties come to market in the next few years. So, Dave, thanks very much for joining us today.
3: Well, thanks, uh, Andrew. Uh, It was great uh, talking with you.
1: On behalf of the entire Pioneer team, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Pioneer Made to Grow podcast. Don't forget, you can always get in touch on Twitter at the handle PioneerSeedsCA or my personal handle Fresh Air Farmer. And for more info or advice, you can always talk to your local Pioneer rep or visit pioneer.com Canada.